Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everyone, Tim Kitzer here from NBA Jam and NFL Blitz, and you're listening to Growing Up the Same with Trayvon Edwards and Jason Madison. Boom shakalaka! And now, here's your starting lineup. Trayvon Edwards, Jason Madison. Boom shakalaka! Today we have our special guest, Bitcoin Zay. What up? Hey, what's up brothers? Glad to be here, man. Isaiah Jackson, aka Bitcoin Zay, is an author of the books Bitcoin and Black America 1 and 2, and co-host of the podcast, Gentlemen of Crypto. You can find his books on the website, bitcoinandblackamerica.com. And now it's time for the one or the two with J Skills. Bitcoin or Tesla? Definitely Bitcoin, all day. Raul Paul or Michael Saylor? Michael Saylor. Ryan Leslie or 50 Cent? Uh, I got a clubhouse with Ryan Leslie later this month, so I'll say Ryan Leslie. Ethereum or Litecoin? Litecoin. Internet or the blockchain? Internet. Coinbase or Binance? Binance. Anything is better than Coinbase. Chess or checkers? Chess. Love it. One of my hobbies. 2017 or 2021? 2021, definitely. Leverage trade Bitcoin or use your Bitcoin as collateral? Use Bitcoin as collateral. Raise up or freak a leak? <laughs> freak a leak, North Carolina, baby. Born Center or 2014 Forest Hills Drive? 2014 Forest Hills Drive. Duke or UNC? Duke. Anybody's better than Carolina. Boom shakalaka. I might have to kick you off the pod, man. (laughs) Hornets or Bobcats? Hornets. Oh, yeah. Gold or U.S. dollars? Gold. Puff Daddy or Jay-Z? Jay-Z. Baby or Master P? Master P all day. Institutional money or retail investment money? Institutional money. Skate or surf? Skate. Surf or turf? Turf. Turf or grass? Grass. Weed or alcohol? Weed. Zell or cash app? Cash app. 
Wall Street or Boiler Room? Wall Street. Wolf of Wall Street or The Big Short? The Big Short. Back to the Future 2 or 3? Never seen either one, so I'm going to go with 3. Godfather 1 or 2? The original, Godfather 1. The Carter 2 or 3? Carter 2. Blank Man or Major Payne? Major Payne. Netflix or Amazon Prime? Netflix, definitely. Hulu or HBO Max? Uh, HBO Max. Alexa or Siri? Siri. Twitter or Clubhouse? Twitter. Westside Connection or Black Hippie? Black Hippie. Tupac or Nipsey Hussle? Nipsey Hussle, all day. Currency or Dom Kennedy? Currency. Beamer or Benz? Benz. Grilled cheese or PB&J? Grilled cheese. A barbecue or a potluck? Barbecue. Outside, high school, baby. High school or college? College. Steph Curry or Chris Paul? Steph. Drake or The Weeknd? Drake. Spring or fall? Spring. Gas or electric vehicle? Gas. Star Wars or Marvel? Marvel. Doggy style or The Chronic? Doggy style. Watch the throne or what a time to be alive? Watch the throne. Thriller or Purple Rain? Purple Rain, favorite movie of all time. Ace of Spades or Cristal? Ace of Spades. Personal riches or generational wealth? Generational wealth. The Art of War or The Alchemist? The Alchemist. Credit score or personal assets? Personal assets. 90s Bulls or 2000s Lakers? 90s Bulls. Saddle Ranch or the Dime? Growing up the same is heating up. <laughs> Shit. That's the hardest one. I swear to God, that's the hardest one. But it's got to be the Dime. Shout out to Chadwick Boseman. R.I.P. Yep. And the last one, Palm Trees or Money Trees? Money Trees, definitely. For sure. That was the one of the two. I'm glad I got you on one of them, at least. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. see, hey, people that don't know the dime and don't know Saddle Ranch, uh, man, it's, it's, a hard, it's a hard choice. It depends on the night, but the dime is more consistent, definitely. 2021, mental health is finally a thing. So many people are struggling right now and aren't feeling like their normal selves. Therapy helps, and it doesn't have to be sitting around just talking about your feelings. So what is therapy exactly? It's whatever you want it to be. You can talk privately to someone if you feel like you're not dealing well with stress or you're having relationship issues. Whatever you need, it's time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, 
phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people who are seeing what therapy is really about. See if it's for you, because you are your greatest asset. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Black Opinions Matter listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash B-O-M. That's BetterHelp.com slash B-O-M. That's my spot. That's when me and Jason met at. We met at the dime. Yeah, we were yeah. friends on Twitter for like the longest. And then we finally like, I was just like, yo, ain't you? Like, yo. Yeah. <laughs> and then we yeah. just linked from there. And actually he was trying to buy a drink. He like, yo, you think you can get? I'm like, yeah, I got you, bro. Packed like a motherfucker. It was man. packed, bro. Oh, yeah. Always packed, man. And yeah. I, I mean, like I said, I didn't know Chadwick owned it until he, you know, after he passed. But I mean, once I found out, I was like, oh, it makes sense. Because I was like, why is this little spot always packed? I mean, I, I get that what you call this right beside it. Uh, what's the food place? Um, uh, John and Vinny's? Uh, not John and Vinny's, the other one. The uh, one owned by Nas. I can't oh, remember. Sweet Chick. Uh, Sweet, Sweet Chick. Chick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sweet Chick's right there. But yeah, I was like, why is this place always packed? But yeah, I think it's, uh, yeah, the dime is the spot, baby. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was the last of the dime breed of uh, actual uh, real parties in L.A. <laughs> you know, pre- Can you imagine pre- the next time niggas is gonna be packed in someplace? Oh, like, I, mean, yeah, I, mean, I couldn't even imagine that right now. I might be tapped on that. Um, yeah, I can't even imagine. So, uh, tell me about you growing up in Charlotte. Oh yeah, so grew up in Charlotte. Uh, growing up in the nineties, you know, Charlotte was very country. Nobody really knew who we were. Uh, nobody really paid attention to it, and uh, it was pretty quiet growing up. However. A lot of people uh, people from New York moved here uh, in the mid-90s and 2000s. So you started seeing it pick up as a banking city. And as I was growing up, you know, we, I, we saw the city change from, you know, a little bit slower to much more city-like, sort of like the sixth borough of New York. Everybody from New York, we used to have a joke. Everybody that couldn't make it in New York used to come down to Charlotte. Uh, <laughs> but seeing that growing up uh, was great because in the banking industry, uh, seeing how many people were in that industry, I got to see how people were brainwashed into how our current financial system is, which sort of set the stage for how I am now. So it was great growing up in Charlotte. Glad to be from here, man. Definitely. Uh, you grew up playing basketball. Um, how was that? Oh, man. North Carolina, best basketball state in the world. Charlotte's the best city in North Carolina. Um, you know, that was amazing. Basketball was every, is everything in North Carolina. We have Carolina. We have Duke, NC State. Uh, you know, we have, of course, the high schools here, Steph Curry, Michael Jordan, CP. Uh, it was great because, as most people may not know, uh, growing up, I may have been one of the only people to beat Steph Curry and his dad in a three-point contest Ooh, boom, shakalaka. Uh, at Bill Curry's camp when we were 14. So growing up in Charlotte, basketball is basketball. Everybody's competitive. Uh, a lot of people, even lesser known names, are still playing in the NBA today, like Ish Smith. Anthony Morrow. So in Charlotte, it was all about basketball. Um, and I'm glad I was a part of that era because now we got a, you know, three-time champion and MVP Steph Curry playing. So shout out to him. Yes. Yeah, and Morrow, my boy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah Morrow, got the summer league popping yeah, over from, Jeff, from Jeff McGinnis. Shout out to him as well. So yeah. Wait, wasn't Anthony Morrow like the, didn't he have the highest three-point percentage in the league one year? At one point in time. Yep. Yep. 
I, he was I remember that Charlotte. Charlotte. I play with him on uh on 2K. <laughs> 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 hey man, Charlotte breeds shooters. I can tell you that right now. Yeah, my man Amo, man. Shouts to Amo. He got a pod and got a clothing line out. So y'all check that out, listeners. Yeah. Um Wait, and before before you go, Trey, I just want to point out that uh you said that North Carolina breeds the best basketball players. And I feel I'm not a hooper. But I feel like California will have something to say. I let him slide. I let him slide. I let <laughs> hey, him slide. Hey. Listen, go ahead. Let me slide. Let me slide this in per capita because we can't keep up with numbers. But I mean, hey, Kinston has the most NBA players per capita. Raleigh, Charlotte. I mean, we, we dominate point guard position. Y'all throw y'all hat. Y'all throw y'all hat in the, in the ring. I, I'll respect I mean, that. Yeah, I mean, we we up there per capita, and I just think with colleges on top of that. I mean. UCLA colleges, I mean, California college is not even close to North Carolina. So that's fair. I, I'll give you that. I wasn't even going, I wasn't even going to do it, Jason. I was like, I, I cringed a little bit and I was like, nah, I'm going to let him get that off. I'm going <laughs> to no, let him get it. that off. But yeah, I, you got I, it. I, I, I'm being serious though. California is the best, but it's because it's bigger. <laughs> no, nah, but like, honestly, I'm glad that you said that because that now shines another light on you know North Carolina in general because it's, it's always overlooked. They always like to highlight New York. Chicago, Philly, um, Texas, you know, and it's it's a lot of hoopers that come out of, you know, out of that area. So, you know, and shouts to everybody in, in that area, like you said, Raleigh, uh, Charlotte, et cetera. You can you can go down the line, Kinston, whoever it is, whoever it may be. And uh there's producing talent just coming up more and more. Um, so you went to North Carolina State. What made you choose North Carolina State? Uh education. I got a uh, scholarship there for, for uh, education portion. Also, I had a chance at playing on the basketball team, so I went that route instead of going to uh, Presbyterian, which I was originally signed to go there. So I went to NC State, had opportunity to try out for the team, had a chance to make it, decided I wasn't going to get that much time, and just decided to focus on education. It worked out for me in the end, uh, so I'm glad I made that decision. NC State was great, and it's weird because everybody's either Carolina or Duke. In, in, in North Carolina, even my dad, he's a huge Carolina fan. So uh, going to NC State was just, again, me just being different, sort of defiant. Like, oh, I'll go to the place where nobody really thinks about. But it, it turned out good. Loved it. Shout out to my man, Julius Hodge. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Julius. Hodge, man. Yeah, Hodge, 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 is, Hodge is a G. You know what I'm oh, saying? Yeah. He coaching now, but, you know, definitely, definitely one of the ones. Oh, All yeah. right. Uh, so Bitcoin. And Black America books, like what made you even just want to start writing books? Or just actually, I want to start off with how did you find out about Bitcoin? Oh, man. So interesting enough, I found out about it from a banker who was my roommate at the time. And he came home. He said they talked about it at his job, but he had no clue what they were talking about. He was like, I don't even know the first thing to tell you. But it was, you know, more of a tech based thing back then. And because I have a tech background, um, you know, computer science, 2013, 2013. So 2013, uh, eight years ago, damn, that's been a long time. 2013, uh, we're sitting on the porch drinking beers, trying to figure out how we can make more money. And Bitcoin came up. He kind of passed it to me. And, uh, you know, that night I read the Bitcoin white paper. I saw a guy uh, named Max Kaiser. Uh, who's pretty convincing when it comes to Bitcoin. I saw the Winklevoss twins who, if you watch the social network, they were the ones who created Facebook. They now have a crypto exchange called Gemini. Uh, so I, I saw a video from them and that pretty much convinced me to to jump into the market. And I bought my first two Bitcoins at around $200. So 
that was my Genesis story. And then from there, learning more about it, seeing how market cycles work, um, that all helped to get to the point where uh, I realized black people need to be a part of this industry, uh, that the next financial system can't exclude us. And that's where Bitcoin and Black America came about. So it's 2013. You make this purchase. And now do you immediately share the codes and say, look, this is the next big thing. <laughs> No, actually, it took no. me two years to even speak out about Bitcoin okay. because when I would tell people in private, uh, I would tell cousins or tell friends, they'll be like, oh, that's that thing for drug dealers or for multi-level marketing or it's a Ponzi scheme. And I was like, no, it's not. Because most people you talk to, they don't know the tech behind Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. I, I was fortunate enough to understand that public key cryptography, that uh, the ECDSA algorithm, all of these things actually work in a perfect function to create what might possibly be the best money of all time. I understood that, but most people from the outside looking in, if you read the media stories, yeah, it was criminals, drug dealers, whoever. But if you look at the statistics, the actual data, 0.3% of Bitcoin transactions are quote unquote illicit. So it's not really any illicit activity happening in Bitcoin. Cash is still king. So again, you know, with all that happening, I didn't talk about it until 2015. Uh, My first Instagram post about it was then, I think, May 2015. And then I didn't start really educating until 2016 because, again, I think a lot of people jump to this market. They read a few news stories. They listen to a couple people and they think, oh, I get it. I'm an expert. I understand it. No, you're not. It takes a lot longer. And I understood that back then. And that's why it took me a little while. Yeah, I remember uh, being around during that time. um, And it was kind of making a ripple effect, especially around the people that I was around. Uh, guys like Wilson Chandler, Nipsey Hussle, um, you know, early on that were kind of just super tapped in DJ folk, you know, just saying like, Hey, this is the next wave and you see it, but people want instant, they want paper in hand. You know what I mean? When you're trying to explain something to them and no one likes to play the long game or you just look like you look, you sound crazy sometimes. Like, again, you say you. It took you a couple years to just even just get comfortable in saying it, right? And Jason, in a part of the one of the two, mentioned 2017 and 2021. Tell us about 2017. What happened in 2017? Oh, man, a lot. I moved to L.A. in 2017. Uh, We saw the price of Bitcoin go from $1,000 on January 1st to $20,000 in mid-December. The first time people have seen a price grow that exponentially. And one of the biggest things that happened during that time period was that Bitcoin was sort of put on the map at that time, because prior to that time period, it was it was all just in theory. Everybody would say, hey, and one day Bitcoin could do this one day. The value could increase to this. But when it actually happened, uh, I know myself personally early on, 10,000 was a dream. Like we were like, man, if we make it 10,000, we're all millionaires. Everybody's rich. Like that would be great. And, you know. In 2017, when we went past that and even the 20,000, it kind of proved that Bitcoin has the value we say it has, albeit more retail. So that's why you saw that dump back down to $3,000 because it was basically scared money. It was like, oh, man, I've never made this much money in my life. I'm selling. I'm selling. When in actuality, Bitcoin is a savings technology that you should have held through those years because over time, it's built to increase in value as there's more demand with a scarce supply. So once you figure that out, you understand how Bitcoin actually works. And because of that, 2017 was a great year because it taught me that a lot of people were not here for Bitcoin. They were here for the quick games, they're grifters, they're jumping in because it's hot. That was not the case with me. I was like, I've been here, still been here four years later. So even through the two bear markets, 
2017 taught me that a lot of people are not sincere, but it was great to see because Bitcoin's here to stay. Uh, before Jason, I know you got one. The, oh, go ahead. Okay. No, I was just going to ask. I said, <laughs> yeah, I, ahead, my, my, my thing was, because I know I asked 2017, and now when I was curious before, because I just told Jason to jump in too, and <laughs> I know he has way more questions about this than me. I'm curious about how do you feel about, obviously it's the pandemic and, and COVID and everything affecting everything, but how do you feel now that Bitcoin is quote unquote the wave, right? You look at stocks and you look at Bitcoin and everybody trying to jump on now. What would you say about someone who is not educated about Bitcoin, but is trying to jump in now? What What's your advice? Yes. Yeah, so you have to understand that Bitcoin is a money system. It is much more than an investment. It's much more than some stock that you invest in and flip over and over. It is a money system. It is a scarce supply, meaning there's only 21 million Bitcoins that will ever be created, meaning that the demand over time with a scarce supply means the price will increase. Now, because we have inflation built into our current economy, and for those who are listening, if you don't understand inflation, it's like somebody stealing small things from your house daily. And one day you look up and you look like Will Smith at the end of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. There's nothing in your house. That's what inflation does. It slowly steals your wealth. Bitcoin is a hedge against that inflation. Because if we see inflation, usually it's 2 to 3% yearly. Actually, inflation is closer to 15 to 20% now. And what Bitcoin does is, on average, it makes 230% year over year based on Bitcoin's growth value. So you can actually beat inflation. So that is Bitcoin's use case. Currently, and if in the future, it will be peer-to-peer -peer cash based on the fact that people will want a better money system. So if you're listening, if you're a beginner, you have to understand that Bitcoin is bigger than some stock. It's bigger than Tesla. It's bigger than, as you can see, the CEO of Bitcoin didn't buy Tesla. The CEO of Tesla bought one and a half billion dollars worth of Bitcoin. There's a reason for that. There's a reason why all of these CEOs are buying Bitcoin and not other coins as well, because that is an actual safe way to hedge your money against inflation. Rich people understand that. Once other people join in, newer people, they will understand that as well. That's what Bitcoin's built. Yeah, I also want to point out the fact that I, I have this conversation. I'm like, you know, a deacon at the Church of Bitcoin. And I have this <laughs> conversation where I'm like, I'm, you know, preaching the ministry to people on a daily basis. And um, part of what you just said, I have to emphasize the fact that Bitcoin is not owned by anybody. There is no CEO of Bitcoin. Exactly. And that is actually part of the attraction of it because it's not uh, tied to somebody's tweets or how that person or this the board of this company may or may not feel. Um, so that kind of makes it everlasting in its own unique way. Um, I didn't even think about this question, but I do want to just ask you uh, as somebody who's so into it as, as I am, what do you think about the inception of Bitcoin? Do you believe this story? Do you believe that Satoshi Nakamoto is an actual person what do you what do you think that the the source of Bitcoin is? Um, I think Satoshi is a group of people mm -hmm. and that what happened was I think there was a person who realized what could be created mm -hmm. um, and that they had tools from the NSA. And because they were they realized what could happen if you created a new money system, they decided to stay anonymous. But they created this system and they used the tools from the NSA to create it. I think it was a group of people, cryptography, all of these subjects. Nobody can be a master at all of them, but somehow they were combined. So I think there was a group of people that did that. And, and when people are concerned, like, hey, I think a government entity or somebody 
created it, they can shut it down. I always tell them, well, then they did a terrible job because it's open source and I can read the code and there's nothing malicious in it. And it's been working for years and it will continue to work because it's in the code. So if somebody was trying to create something malicious to take everybody's money, they did a terrible job because I've read the code dozens of times and other of the smartest people in the world have. So that's my take on who Satoshi is, him, she, they, who, who cares? doesn't right. matter. Code yeah. is, read it yourself. You can get the smartest person you know to read it. Um, plenty have. So, uh, yeah. yeah, that's that's what I think. I think it was a group that figured out, well, we could, we could change shit. <laughs> and and we just have to use the tools that have been used against us usually and then yep. you do it in the opposite and then now you see what happens for once we have uh you know a money system that works and you're right that is actually a positive not a negative some people think an anonymous creator is a negative it's like no that's yeah. a positive there's nobody to go after there's no mailing address there's no ceo exactly um yeah i think a lot of people man uh, are just people are in love with conspiracy theories people are uh, very fearful also of any any big entity or anything that they don't understand. Um, and, you know, Bitcoin is definitely something that's hard for the average person to wrap their head around. So the first thing that they usually go to is, oh, the government's going to shut it down or, you know, they're going to take all your money or it's going to go to zero. What are you going to do? And, you know, all this stuff. So uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad that you gave that perspective. Well, I will say on the far end of the conspiracy theory, I will say it might be an alien that realized <laughs> that we don't know what the hell we're doing and that we should fix our money system. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because the only thing that spooks me is yeah. uh, I saw an astrology chart and it was like the U.S. dollar, the yeah. Chinese dollar and the United States and Bitcoin were all at a 13 degree angle on the astrology chart. And I was like, damn, that's some either some super coincidence or... Right. <laughs> Some entity figured out that everything that's created on that 13 degree axis has come into power in the future and Bitcoin may be the next one. So that's the only thing that's kind of spooked me where I was like, it might be an alien or it might be <laughs> whatever. Right. But again, who cares? It's open source right. code. It works. Um, on a financial basis, I have a question. Why do you think people and black people in particular, but just people at large are so guarded about their finances? Uh, I think a lot of it is historically we have seen people come into our community and promise us the world and th then nothing happens. And on top of that, I think that in our community, we don't understand, a lot of people don't understand that in order for you to make money, it takes money. And a lot of people think saving it or keeping money in the mattress. I mean, we got 20 to 25% on bank. Uh, that does not work. There is no such thing as a rich person who created generational wealth by working a job, saving it, and then dying. No, it was always investments. And I think the black community is starting to realize that, that you have to be inflation year over year in order to preserve your wealth or your spending power is less year after year. So if you're talking about a community that uh, statistically speaking has less money, then you take away the purchasing power. That's a double whammy. So we, we have, you know, a lot of issues that have to be solved in our community. I think the education has to be there. I think historically we've seen all of these promises come hey, we can all get out of poverty if we just do this one thing and it hasn't happened. So I think that's why people are really guarded with their finances. But as somebody who has seen people on the lower end and on the higher end, people on the higher end are very quick to give you money if they can save time or if they can invest. And then people on the lower end are very quick to tell you, hey, don't play with my $500. Don't play with my money. On and the high like, end. So I'm yeah. over here like, here, Zay. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> turn yeah, water exactly. into wine. Exactly. Like, <laughs> like people that I deal with on the high end, they're like, "Yeah, here's a hundred thousand. I don't know what <laughs> what's yeah. going on, but yeah, I know that Bitcoin works." So 
that's sort of the difference. And then, like I said, I understand where that comes from, but it's also uh, one of those things where you can't make money without money. So once people understand that, they're good. Did you have any hustles growing up as a kid? Oh yeah, definitely. I uh, I was always an entrepreneur, selling candy at, at school, uh, selling shoes, swapping shoes with people, um, doing that early on. It's crazy to see the shoe game has got to the point where it's like bots buying online. Went back then, <laughs> we used to meet up at high school parking lots to swap. It's crazy, but yeah, I, I definitely had an entrepreneurial spirit early. My father owned his own business uh, for years. Uh, my mother, she owns her own business uh, now for the last 25 years. So that's always been in my family. It's always been something I've I realized that in the Black community, small business is the backbone of a middle class. So yes, I always had that entrepreneurial spirit. What's the do's and don'ts of Bitcoin? Like mm-hmm. uh, a person that's un, like not knowledgeable, they download mm-hmm. Coinbase and they just buy something. The first thing they see just because it's crypto. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the first thing. Don't don't download Coinbase. That's the first don't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what, do you, what do you use? What what exchange yeah. do you use? Uh, well, I use Swan Bitcoin because they have the lowest fees in the in the entire industry. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm also good friends with the CEO, but for the most part, I've done most of my Bitcoin buying over the counter uh, because I own a Bitcoin ATM. So I have access to brokers who can actually do large Bitcoin purchases. So that's mostly to keep it private or to keep it yourself. That's the best way. For those people who will be watching, who may have Coinbase who started, that's fine to start. But Coinbase has been very egregious in their actions uh, as a terrible exchange. So I would say the first don't is don't use Coinbase. Make sure you actually use an exchange where you can move your coins off of the exchange, as well as not have them discriminate against black people, pay them less, as well as not shut down every time the price goes up. So don't use Coinbase. (laughs) That's the first once you buy it, make sure you own your keys. And what that means is make sure you actually own the Bitcoin. On Robinhood, you don't own Bitcoin. On PayPal, you don't own Bitcoin. Until you can move your Bitcoin off of that exchange to your own private wallet where you own the keys, you don't own Bitcoin. So you want to make sure you buy it from a reputable exchange, then move it to a cold storage like Trezor, like a ledger, um, like your own you know, cold storage paper wallet. You want to make sure you own those keys. Those private keys, that password, no keys, no cheese. I say that often. Um, And then the next thing you want to know, do's and don'ts. One thing to do is to earn Bitcoin. You don't always have to buy it. Uh, A lot of people are mistaken uh, to think that you need to buy a $45,000 Bitcoin. You can buy fractions of a Bitcoin, but you can also earn Bitcoin uh, in something called Satoshis, which is a fraction of Bitcoin. You can earn Satoshis with services like Lolly, L-O-L-L-I. A lot of people have problems spending. I buy way too much Postmates. When I buy Postmates, though, I get three and a half percent cash back rewards in the form of Bitcoin. Over the course of a year, the three hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin rewards I got turned into twenty one hundred dollars. That was just for me buying shit I already buy. <laughs> uh, Fold app, same thing. You buy stuff you already buy. Amazon, uh, you know, one eight hundred flowers, AutoZone, wherever you shop, you buy stuff, you get Bitcoin cash rewards back. So you can buy it, store it, earn it. Those are the do's and don'ts. So the don'ts are don't use Coinbase, don't use Robinhood, don't use PayPal. The do's are buy it, store it, earn it. What about Exodus? Is that a is that a wallet that you recommend? Oh yeah, Exodus is is, is good. I will say they did have an issue with a hack recently. Wasn't mm-hmm. publicized, but I've actually talked to people who work for the company and there was a breach. People's information was not taken. However, you know, it was a, you know, just something I want to make sure everybody has all the information. 
Uh, but yes, Exodus is good. The fact that you can pay with Moon Pay, with Apple Pay, really quick is very efficient, and people like that. So yeah, Exodus is is a good desktop wallet for sure. Um, what was I going to ask? You out here stumping them, Zay? <laughs> how did you, how'd you get the name Bitcoin Zay though? Oh man, I'm, you know it's crazy. I hate. I, I think people that give themselves nicknames is corny as shit. Um, so except I just want to say, I, except Kobe. Yeah, yeah, well, except Kobe, greatest player ever. But we're talking about that. But this name was given to me. I literally in Charlotte, because it's such a big banking industry, the fact that I was everywhere, I was at Urban League, I was at the Black Chamber of Commerce, I was at this meeting, I was at that meeting, and I was always wearing this Bitcoin sweatshirt. Not this one, but I have a Bitcoin sweatshirt I've had since 2014, old and dusty. It's the good people luck charm, right? Yeah, definitely. Because people yeah. just started saying, hey, Bitcoin Zay, Bitcoin Zay, the Bitcoin dude, the Bitcoin guy. That's what people started referring to me as, took that name, and it stuck. So, you know, I didn't give myself the nickname, but people just kept calling me that because that's what they remember me as. You know, when you're 25 years old, talking shit to a 60-year-old Morgan Stanley or Bank of America employee, they always remember, that was the Bitcoin dude that I was talking about. <laughs> so that's kind of where it came from. When, uh, oh, listen, listen. when, <laughs> uh, sorry about that, Jason. Yeah. Um, when did you know, like, okay, I am an expert at this? I still don't. I, I don't think I'm an expert and I don't think anybody who calls himself an expert in Bitcoin is being genuine because it takes 10 to 15 years to call yourself an expert. Bitcoin has been around 12. Uh, I've been in this space eight, so I've seen most of what's happened. However, Bitcoin constantly is changing. There's new developments every day. We have DeFi now. We have new tokens. We have new crypto. I mean, it's, it's so much to keep up with. Even with writing books, I have to change a lot of it as I'm writing because the news changed over the course of a week. So uh, I think I got, I've got. i gotten to a point where I would say I'm very well-versed in it, uh, but to call myself an expert, I would say it would take probably another five or so years because I got to see another market cycle. I got to see the geopolitical implications of how Bitcoin works because then I can say, okay, I've seen Bitcoin's growth from nothing to a force uh, uh, globally. And right now we're close, but not yet. What do you think about Ethereum, speaking of DeFi? Oh, yeah. So anything uh, not Bitcoin, I would always say is speculative and they have to prove themselves. So Ethereum's use case, I don't think is the same as Bitcoin's. It's not trying to be a global store of value. It's not trying to be, you know, the, the, the metric for peer to peer cash. They're trying to be able to execute smart contracts and to use their platform to create decentralized apps. That's their use case. So I do like that that was created. However, I do have my concerns with Ethereum. For one, as the price increases, gas fees increase, making it harder and harder to execute smart contracts. I've seen people try to execute smart contracts for $1,000 and had to pay a $700 gas fee. That's not good. That's no bueno. So Ethereum needs to figure that out with e either Ethereum 2.0 scaling or with a decrease in fees. Also, the threat of the SEC is the elephant in the room. Anything not Bitcoin, there's the threat of the SEC. A lot of people who are in Ethereum they run with this notion that, hey, the SEC said Bitcoin and Ethereum are not a security. No, that's not what happened. There was a SEC, a former SEC employee at a conference who said, most likely because Ethereum's so big, it won't be a security. There's never been an official uh, statement from the SEC saying it's not. So that's always been the elephant in the room to me because they can come out tomorrow and say Ethereum is a security, price will tank overnight. Uh, another thing is whenever you have these developing apps, you have to realize that the more people use it, the less likely you are able to get your transactions through. CryptoKitties almost crashed Ethereum. 
and they need to do something about the scaling. So when I tell people about Ethereum, I always say, yes, it is something that could work in the future, but it is still speculative until proven otherwise. So you, you would consider yourself a Bitcoin maximalist? Uh, no, I would I would say maybe maximalish, but I would say as somebody who's done research <laughs> on all other pro- projects, um, finding a lot of the attack vectors, I don't even really talk to people that agree with me anymore. I try to find people that disagree. And when I talk about other projects, I find so, too many attack vectors. Uh, with Bitcoin, haven't really found any strong argument against it. So that's why I sort of stick with it. Um, so mostly Bitcoin, but I still dabble in other projects because I think this this space is too big to be stuck in one lane. It's way too much going on. You got NFTs, you got DeFi, you got you know different tokens being used for securities. I mean, the bond market is going to change forever. Real estate, all of that is interesting. So I definitely dabble in that. Um, switching gears real quick back to uh growing up um who did you idolize when you were a kid who'd you look up to uh so my first real idol was kobe uh when i was seven kobe got drafted um by the hornets in charlotte it was like the happiest five minutes of my life but i didn't realize that trades what trades were in the nba draft i didn't know what that was when i was seven and then uh he got drafted to the lakers you know soon after uh, but I remember seeing him in the newspaper or or a magazine with Moesha, uh, with Brandy at the time. So I thought he was the coolest person ever. I was like, he came out of high school. He plays guard. Like, this is the coolest dude ever. Looked up to Kobe my whole life. RIP to him. Um, but when I was younger, definitely Kobe. And because I got exposed to stand-up comedy really early, uh, one of my idols has, has been Richard Pryor for the longest. Um, Richard, and then even on to now, Patrice O'Neill and Dave Chappelle. I'm glad I got exposed to stand up really early. I think that was an advantage because I think they are the smartest people in the world. So, yeah, Kobe Bryant and uh, Richard Pryor, I would say, were my two biggest. And then Malcolm X as well. Uh, my uncle, who was really big in NAACP uh, and the Muslim movement, he's a bodyguard for Farrakhan now. He exposed me to a lot of black history. And uh, Malcolm X is one of the first people he spoke about. So those are my top three. Yeah, that's a great list. I, I would put all of those guys on my list and uh... – Patrice, I probably low key would put ahead of Richard because I, I think I'm, Patrice is funnier. I think, <laughs> but it's just when I grew up, I didn't know about Patrice until yeah. I was in college. And you hear him, you're like, "Damn, got, I missed out on." They him. got a spe- they got a special comment on Comedy Central where everybody's paying homage on the 19th. So peep that when you get a chance. Patrice, yep. Oh, that's yeah. tight. Because they just tight. saying like he 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 pretty much jabbed at the crowd, but he wanted the truth. So yeah. the laughter wanted to be, you know, I'm going to say things that's going to make people uncomfortable, but I'm always going to go for the truth. You know what I mean? No matter how it was. And I left it out there. And most comedians aren't like that. You know, they're, they're trying to tiptoe around and, you know, whether it was about marriage, like, yo, I love my wife, but, mm-hmm. you know, I'm about to get this yeah. off or it's going to be something else. And like, I don't feel comedy is uncomfortable no more because there's a fine line and it's, and oh, it's yeah. drawn and, and you sit there and you're like, ah, uh, that shit wasn't funny. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But then oh, yeah, yeah. you find those spots where there's no camera and they can say some shit and they, you know, and you and you really feel it. You're like, okay. You know, you want, you want mm-hmm. that, you want that comedy to be like, oh, did he just say that? That's crazy. You know what I mean? Cause hey, that, I will what, say, I will say as somebody I actually did stand up for about five years when I was in college. 
I like uncomfortable silence. That's why I love Patrice O'Neill. I like when it's uncomfortable. That to me is funnier. I've been in comedy clubs where there's been comedians who said something racy or something that may seem uncomfortable. I will laugh even louder because I think it's funny to see people uncomfortable, especially dudes. I'm like, man, you're a grown ass man. Nothing should offend you. <laughs> what are you offended by? Right. That would make me laugh more. So that's why I love Patrice. And I love that you said that because I think that's that's great that comedians yeah. have that power. To, to actually pull it out of you, even if it's dead silent. Damn. If it's funny, it's funny. That's all that matters. And that, that's, I definitely love stand-up comedy. For that that helped me with podcasting, honestly. Before we started doing live shows, when I first moved to Los Angeles. Oh, I'm from LA, but I moved back. Oh, moved. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, in 2018, I moved there when I when I linked up with you. And um, I would always go to um, the Hollywood Improv. Yeah. And mm-hmm. the guy that we were associated with he kind of, I don't know if he was scamming or whatever, but he got me on stage one time and he said, for face value, you should try to go tell jokes. And, you know, if your friends always tell you like, yo, you're funny, it's stage funny. And then there's like instant hitters, like that you can say it. And it's like, yo, you know, you crazier. But on there, the awkward silence of just a crowd staring at you, the hot light beaming on you. I would always picture no one out there and just say shit. But also I'm imitating what comedians did. So today, you know, this, you know what I mean? And it's like, I don't have an authentic flow. I don't have, and it showed me, it gave me so much respect for comedians because I'm up there two, three minutes. I'm waiting on Sandman. That shit felt like an hour. Oh, Being up there yeah. two, three minutes. I'm waiting on somebody to hook hey. and ladder me off the, off hey, the stage. I remember when I first started and the dude, he was like, you just need a strong five minutes. It might take you 10 years, but you need a strong... I was like, 10 years? For five minutes? Oh, that ain't shit. Yeah, when you up there and one joke doesn't land, every second feels like a month. You're like, Jesus fucking Christ, can we end this show? <laughs> please, somebody save me. Somebody please... Yeah, I've been there. Man. It, was right. per- it was perfect, though, because after that, we started doing podcast live shows, and we are going city to city, and Jason got a chance to see us before. And we're doing 400, 500 people. Just, and it's just nothing after that. Because it's just basically, podcast is just comedy, honestly. It's people yeah. listening in on your conversation, a few laughs. They might feel like they're your friend because you every week, it's an expectation of a conversation. It's like, Jason, call me every two weeks. Zay, call me every two weeks. I know what we're going to talk about. We're going to catch up with what's going on in the world. And that's what podcast is. So either I'm going to laugh with you or I'm going to be like, yo, I'm going to turn this shit off. Hey, just to bring this conversation full circle, I went to the Dime one time and they were doing stand-up comedy in there. And it was like literally just like the half dozen comedians. And like, I just went in there for a drink. You know what I'm saying? And I was like, damn. I think it's Wednesday nights. Yeah, bro, It's a it weird night. So, it was so awkward <laughs> and uncomfortable in there. It was the opposite of what we know the Don to be, bro. And I was like, I finished my drink so fast. And I was like, man, get me the fuck out of that's here. That's crazy. <laughs> and that's crazy you exactly. went to mob because I've, I've actually pulled up and stayed just because... <laughs> You thinking you about to get a drink and then all the tables are put away and you're just like, yo, what? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Like, I mean, I ain't got nothing else to do. Like, I just ended up posting up. But like, yeah, for real, man. Like it, it's an interesting situation. So um Jason, you had any more questions before I asked him the big question? Uh, yeah, I did have uh okay. one more question. Well, yeah, it was just basically like um, you know, we got uh, a fair amount of listeners and people that tap in, and you know, most of them are are in the sports and other things. So, you know, I want to get people 
you know, educated about finance, I think it's very important, you know, just for, for people in the world, even though I know it's the hot topic right now, I feel like it's just good for people to have. Um, so I just wanted to give you the space to say, like, what do you want people to know about financing and investing? Uh, that you have to understand delayed gratification. Uh, you have to understand that long-term investment, it takes discipline. You have to understand that this is a long-term thing, especially in the Bitcoin world. Uh, I know it's not sexy because it, everybody thinks, hey, you're flipping crypto and getting Lambos and buying islands. Actually, the way to get rich is pretty boring. Dollar cost average Bitcoin, save over time, stop buying shit you don't need uh, because a lot of people eat out too much. They buy goods they don't need. Use that money to buy Bitcoin or to put into some sort of savings vehicle and long term, you will be fine. And I think that's what gets people is that, hey, I can do this for a year. I can do it for two years, but I can't do it for five. I can't do it for 10. I can't think that far ahead. I would encourage anybody that if you can remember 10 years ago, then you can plan for 10 years from now. And if you want to to actually have an impact generational uh, with generational wealth, you have to start today. And if Bitcoin is the vehicle that you choose to do that with, you obviously uh, or honestly have to start now. It has to be a sense of urgency because the time uh, for the change of money system is today. Wait, actually, that's a great answer. And that made me think of one more, one last question I have for you, because I've been trying to convert a lot of older people in my family. Um, so for people who are retired, who have like a com considerable amount of savings, but it's cash. And like we said earlier, you know, we know the dollar and inflation is basically taking that buying power down. And so when they pass that cash on to the next generation, it's going to be worth a lot less. What would you say to the older person who is weary of Bitcoin and, and taking the cash savings that they feel like they've worked their whole life for and converting it into a new currency that they are a little uncertain about? Oh, yeah. So as of today, anybody who's purchased Bitcoin and held it is in profit. Literally 100% of people today. If you have used cash or fiat currency, uh, you have seen a 99% drop in fiat currency's value since 1913, and the inflation rate has increased. So that is a guaranteed loss versus Bitcoin, which is like a layup, a guaranteed win. So if you are looking at long-term savings, Bitcoin has been proven to be the best savings technology, and cash is guaranteed to lose. So you can make your decision from there. Thank you. All right. The big question. What advice would you give your 18-year-old self? Man, look up Bitcoin. <laughs> uh, <laughs> will probably be the first one, but uh, 18. Other than that, I would say uh, take your time. I thought I had to do everything at 18. I thought it was end of the world. So I would say 18, slow down. There's a lot of life. Life is long. Um, don't think you have to do it all at 18 or be successful at 18. Uh, a lot of pressure. Just take your time, slow down, and everything will be fine. So I would definitely tell myself to relax at 18 because I thought I had to do everything in college. I was a junior at the time, so it was like, oh, I got to get all this done. And I had two jobs, and I was doing this and that. So I would just tell myself, slow down. All right. Well, thank you again, Zay. Learned so much from you. Uh, I'm definitely going to tap in with you on the side. Like, yo, what <laughs> I should you. I do? Because this was definitely helpful. Um I wouldn't consider it uh, Bitcoin one on one, but for our listeners that are, you know, sitting at home twiddling their thumbs with money, <laughs> and 
are just kind of following trends. I think this is very, very helpful and, and let them know an education of it because there's a lot of people that are not well versed sometimes or, you know, just kind of loosely. We're, we're so easily to, you know, follow what we see. The same thing as somebody, you know, like Dogecoin, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, it's been pushed out and everybody's just like, oh, let's buy because everybody thinks that, oh, I'm going to be a millionaire overnight or this just how it happens. And, you know, some people are dipping in their savings and just not making the right investments. Mm-hmm. And, you know what I mean? I think that it should be more education, not like not only in school, because I think schools should be teaching about credit score and all this other stuff. But also, I do feel that people now need to inquire about Bitcoin like you and Jason are doing. You know what I mean? Like in the situation of like really, really, really educating yourself on it versus word of mouth. Because it might, you know what I mean? Like determine on people wanting something to come back in like a year. Because, you know, like you said, it's the long game. It's not, you know, you, you, you copped 2013. Yeah. Now it's 2021 and you see the growth and, and, and how it is. And then you look in the situation of 2017 and 2021, how many people done jumped off the ship? Man, so many. I've how many people, people have jumped off the <laughs> ship and now are like yeah. even regretting it or looking mm-hmm. in the scenario of like, damn, I should have listened. And Man. even people I, I told about it when I first started, they jumped off and were like, ah, nah. and they saw me go from essentially $400 to seven figures. And it's still like, uh, well, I don't know. And I'm like, what do you don't know, man? Like, <laughs> you yeah. can't can't save everybody. And, yeah, nah, and, and look, you hit it on the nose. You can't save everybody. Everybody not going to be able to make it. Everybody ain't going to be able to do it. But if you believe, it's like church, the church of Bitcoin, bro. If you believe in the Bitcoin versus 117, you thou <laughs> might be seven figures or eight. <laughs> so and the church said amen. <laughs> there you go. Man, thank exactly. you so much again, man. This is this was this was great. I appreciate that, man. Glad to be here. Glad to be talking with you all. Growing up the same wins the game. <laughs>